before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to the truth prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. I encourage having communication because we're taught not to talk about these things. And the way we heal is by having open conversations. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. Good people. Welcome to episode number 38, Truth Scripting Podcast. Today, I have the distinct honor of interviewing Stephanie McAuliffe. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. It is a good morning, actually. It is a good morning. Very good morning. downtown. This is great. So <laughs> if, you're, if your LinkedIn page is anything like your life, you've had a very uh, <laughs> varied and sundry experience. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, she's done everything. Yes. <laughs> um, so started off as a program analyst for Merrill Lynch back in, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, moved to New York Mercantile Exchange doing pretty much a similar job as a pro, you know, program manager. Then somehow went and started a, a, a gourmet food manufacturing business, Henry's Homemade, in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Then came back. She spent another 13 years at AIG as a, as a program analyst. And then uh, there was sort of a a dead zone, a dead period in terms of her employment, but I'm sure there was a lot going on in her life. And then in, in 2017, uh, she started the process with her book. Now, did your, did your book come out in, in May of 17 or May of this year? May of 17. May of 17. So in May of 17, uh, she dropped, it's like a mixtape, she dropped a message in the bottle, not message in a bottle, message in the bottle, finding hope and peace amidst the, amidst the chaos of living with an alcoholic. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. It's good to be <laughs> okay. here. Great, great. So let's jump right in to the true prescription. For my my new listeners, uh, the premise of the show is that all successful people, no matter their industry, uh, have had to go through and deal with certain truths. And it was accepting those truths, really uh, accepting those truths that allowed them to break through and become more successful and continue on the success that they've, that they've built. So, Stephanie, do you want to start with the personal or professional truth? Personal. Personal. All right. Excellent. This is kind I, of a truth I'm or on, dare. I'm on a, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so when my when I first started my show, I would say my first 30 shows, everybody was like professional, professional, you know, because it's it's easier, you know, it's mm-hmm. professional. But for the last four or five shows, people have been going with, with personal. So this is good. I think we're doing we're doing something right. <laughs> so. Uh, all right. So give us give talk about your personal truth and uh, the personal truth that. Well, I won't I won't I won't preempt you, but just a personal truth that. Something you were ignoring in your life that once you accepted it, you were able to, to, the doors opened up in terms of your success. One of the biggest personal truths was the fact that I grew up around alcoholism. I numbed my own pain for years for various reasons. And I didn't take personal responsibility 
for how I thrashed through life for quite a few years. And it was when I finally was brought to my knees and turned around to face my truth yeah. and my part in this yeah. that I actually began to set myself free. Got it. Give us a, tell us a story. Give us an example of when that happened. What was that moment of truth? Was it, was it the hospital or was it something else? Yes. I know the hospital story, uh, but you can tell whatever story you want. Married to my second husband, working in AIG, which was incredibly stressful. I was managing an $85 million program. It's not that much. No. <laughs> and going home and not knowing what I was walking into on a daily basis because uh, of his drinking. Yeah. I thought I was having a heart attack and ended up in the hospital. Mm. Turns out it wasn't. Hiatal hernia, still caused by stress. Mm-hmm. And I laid in the hospital bed with my BlackBerry in hand because I was still managing that $85 million <laughs> program. Still taking care of others. And I said, yeah. yes, exactly, because I had dozens of project managers and hundreds of people who were moving things forward. And I looked up at the ceiling and I just said, what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Because I'm doing more for him than he is for himself. And I was doing more for him than I was for myself. Right. And, and he hadn't even come to visit you. He did not come to the hospital. <laughs> well, he couldn't. He, he had his own issues with hospitals from his mother's death. Yeah. And he was so inebriated all the time. I, it wouldn't have been safe for him to get in the car to come see me. Mm. Not that that stopped him from drinking and driving anyway, but that's a whole separate story. <laughs> yes. Okay. So your, your personal truth was take personal responsibility for yourself. To, yes, to take personal responsibility, but also to not ignore my feelings anymore. Because the first time I started to work with a coach, we were in a group program, and on the first group call, she asked the question, how do you want to feel? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't answer the question. Mm-hmm. I was stunned. <laughs> I mean, it really rocked me to my core. Sure. And then I was like, and, and this was after my divorce was final. It's like, what am I doing? Because... We're taught to ignore our feelings, and we're taught not to express them. Sure. And for those of us who grew up around alcoholism, there's even more suppression and the unsilent, the unspoken rule of we don't talk about these things. Right. And so everything goes within, mm. and it all compounded. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Don't ignore your feelings. Don't ignore your feelings. All right. Let's go to the professional. I mean, you and you've done a ton. So yes, all different, all different industries. <laughs> And now you're an author and coach in your own right. Yes. Right? So you have a, a wealth of professional experience to draw from. And I can imagine the, the, truths, the truths and things that you learned in AIG are sort of different than what you're doing now because your insights into who Stephanie is has changed a lot. Yes. I proved my worth by the size of my projects and my elevation within a company. Mm. <laughs> I, I proved my worth through things outside of me yeah. because I didn't feel worthy within. Yeah. And I got all the way up to being a senior director. That's big. Which Huge. was, yeah. yes, very big. Yeah. Making and, great money. Yeah. Uh, great money. Yeah. And one of the greatest gifts was when I was offered a package and I took it. And so you were able to sort of take the package, live on that for a little while, but then when you're not going into the city every day to hustle and bustle, to grind, and you have to actually look in that mirror. <laughs> look right. at them, look in the mirror and then also unwind because mm-hmm. being so keyed up of managing this large program and keeping all of these things running and the responsibility that I put on myself as well, mm-hmm. it's what do you do with the, 
time that you now have that you're not going into the city every day. Yeah. So working 12 to 14 hour days and commuting another three to four hours a day. When you now have all that time, it gives you an opportunity to really begin to slowly unwind and just be. Yeah. Which is very foreign. And I see it even with the people that I worked with who are still there. There is an energy on Wall Street, and some people thrive on it, and yeah. we thrive on that energy for different reasons. Mm, like a, like a frenesity, almost like a phrenic, like a phrenic pace. So the the professional truth is, focus on internal wealth. Yes. Okay. Cool. Let's jump into some questions. All right. So this one, you know, it's funny. My my wife always says that I'm. Uh, <laughs> What did she tell me? I'm I'm a I'm a, a man centric or whatever that means. That I you know I'm I'm, I'm I uh, I support men, which is just you know her talking. But this question, so your message is mainly focused on women, and so my question is sort of you know why not men? Don't we, don't we need some freeing? <laughs> you know what what special issues do do women deal with that that men don't? There are far more male alcoholics than women. And the reason I initially focused more on women is because the family members of the alcoholics are often left to figure things out for themselves. And that means the wives. There's a tremendous amount of help out there and support for the alcoholic. And the family members, be it the spouse and the kids, are just, well, what do I do? And I saw it within my own family, being the fourth generation of women in my family who grew up around alcoholism how we didn't talk about these things and there wasn't support and we just kind of pushed our way through. What comes to me is it's powering our way through the day to get through rather than really living and finding joy in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, almost like closing your eyes and and, and running. You just, you know, you just, you're just running blindly, but you just, you know, mm-hmm. you're, getting, you're getting hit and you're getting, you know, getting little stabs here and there. But you're just kind of like, right, I'm going to take it, but I just got to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to move forward. Yeah. What came to me is uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. Ugh. Yes. It's painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ouch. it is. And that's yeah. what living around alcoholism does. And yeah. we don't want to face it because we love the person. Yeah. But we hate the disease. Yeah. And so it's making the choice of if nothing else changes... Can I continue to live this way for the rest of my life? And that is something only the individual can answer. Yeah. Something just came to me. It's interesting. You, you said the, the women the, the women and children, and I can imagine you've probably unknowingly helped a lot of children through your work with the women because they themselves start to become healthier and then they can sort of impart some of these things to the kids. So that's yes. Nice. And one of the things I say, I have a closed Facebook group and I say, you know, have conversations with your children. Don't act as if they're not seeing what's happening. And don't act as if nothing is going on because kids see everything and they hear everything. Yeah. Yeah. And don't leave it to them to figure things out for themselves. So you can have a conversation to say mom or dad, you know, has this issue. We're doing our best we can to help him or her. Yeah. And if you feel afraid know that you can come to me to have a conversation. Yeah. Which is something that I see so many don't do. And I I encourage having communication because we're taught not to talk about these things. And the way we heal is by having open conversations. Right. Having open conversation and as as you said earlier, sort of feeling the emotion. 
Yes. You know, feeling the emotion, letting that emotion express itself. Okay. So, you know, in my own work, sort of on myself and also working with patients, I know that it's easy to get stuck in a, you know, mental program. And, you know, with your background as a computer programmer, you know, you sort of understand that, that concept. What is a common way in which people get, get stuck in this process that you coach them and how do you help and how do you sort of unstick them? We get so stuck in our logical mind (laughs) and our left brain of trying to think our way out of a situation. Yeah. And when we're in stress, as you know, all the blood goes to the back of the brain and it's as if we're being chased by a bear. Yeah. And when we feel like we're being chased by a bear, we can't think logically. Right. So what I do with my clients is to help them focus on the energy behind the situation that they're living in and going through or trying to resolve because some are still living with their alcoholics, some not. Mm-hmm. But to also uncover and discover the source of the energy and the source of the trigger because once that's cleared, we can incorporate that information as knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then carry it forward and no longer be triggered. Okay. But it's getting my clients out of the logical left brain or feeling like they're being chased by a bear or a mountain lion. Or When you, when you say energy, g- explain that. Give that some context. You, you, we may have some people that are listening that, you know, when they, say, when they hear you say, I get my, my clients to look at the energy of the situation. They're like, what, what the hell? What, what's she talking about? Ah. You know, give a little, a little context. So a couple of things. There are times when you will just get an intuitive nudge of turn left, go to this place. Mm -hmm. And that is your higher self through your right brain conversing with you. It's the the nudge from the universe. Mm -hmm. Another way also is if you're going to go have a conversation with your mother and you're already feeling – anxiety, anger, sadness, some form of emotion, there is a trigger that's there. Yes. And, and that is energy. And typically what happens, a lot of this comes from childhood. And when we try to protect ourselves, what we're actually doing is we're locking that hurt and that pain inside of us, quite often around our heart. And when we go to have that conversation we're anticipating the same thing happening as has happened in so many other conversations. Mm-hmm. And so that is part of the energy as well. Okay. So when you say energy, it's, it's almost analogous to the emotion. Yes. The emotion around it. Can yes. you give us uh, an example of a client, obviously without saying names, but a client that you're working with or have worked with in the past, something that they were dealing with and how them understanding that energy helped them solve an issue or get through to, you know, to the end. Glad to. One of my clients living with her alcoholic husband in the process of getting ready to file for divorce, Mm. been married for almost 30 years. When she grew up, her father was a very heavy drinker and her mother would kind of go off and rail. And it was easiest for her to isolate because when she hid, she didn't have to deal with her father's drinking, nor did she have to deal with her mother going crazy about her father's drinking and then yelling at her. Mm -hmm. Well, she married a man that she also isolated herself from. Mm. 
and isolated herself through her marriage as well. Because quite often when we're married to an alcoholic, we do end up isolating ourselves for various reasons. And so once she understood that the energy from her childhood had been carried into her marriage... Mm. She this, was, this energy of isolation. The energy of isolation, of hiding, of not being seen because it was then safer that way rather than being herself. She's now able to go and see her mother and her father and see them for who they are and not get triggered by the visits or the thoughts of the visits or the conversations and just to be able to see them and love them mm-hmm. as they are and not have that old emotion come up because she now knows the source of it. Makes sense. My last question is just for people that are listening mm-hmm. that want to be coaches. How can someone become a coach? And do you need to be an author to be a coach? You do not need to be an author to be a coach. There are training programs that are out there that people can take. It makes me think of book smart versus street smart. Mm-hmm. We can go to school for something. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll be good at it. Right. My coaching is based on life experience. And a lot of the coaches that I have worked with over the years and therapists that I worked with over the years, and my coaching has just evolved into what worked for me, and then it continues to evolve as I, as I work with clients. Books give credibility, but they don't necessarily, they won't teach you how to coach. It, it right. will help you express your story. Got it. And can help people. But I think of them as as they can be symbiotic, but okay. not necessarily tied together. Got it. So the, the, the book sort of helps, like you said, credibility. It's a, a manual, if you will, mm-hmm. that, that your people that you're training can read. But it's not a necessity. It's not. And, okay. and in this book, I have a lot of introspective questions. So I think of it more as I, you could pick up a chapter today and then another chapter a month from now. And I've had people say, I read it, but I wasn't ready to, to mm-hmm. deal with those specific questions. Yeah. There's one other thing about energy that I wanted to touch on as sure. well. Go is ahead. Absolutely. And an example from my childhood, there were things that happened and I had actually been threatened with my life mm. if I told anybody what was happening and there was abuse that was happening. And because I felt like I couldn't tell anyone, all that energy got stuck in my throat. Mm. And it was when I was actually writing my book and then doing more work that I, that's another thing of energy. If you have a lot of aches and pains in a certain part of your body, it's typically because there's energy that is stuck there that you're not yes. able to release. Yes. And there's some fascinating statistics that only between one and 30% of illness is actually genetic. That that is a strong emotional basis to disease, yeah. Yeah, emotional or environmental. Absolutely. I I 100% believe that. And believe it or not, nobody ever mentioned that in medical school. And a lot of doctors (laughs) don't do that as well. They're they're very quick to give a pill. Because we're not taught. Right. We're not not taught. We have no nutritional training and we have no sort of uh, energetic healing training. Right. Not even energetic healing because you don't need need that. But there was no discussion of chakras, any of the Eastern... Medical philosophies we didn't even touch on, even like as an elective, you know, it wasn't it wasn't offered. So, which I find fascinating, and that's why I focus on the energy. Yeah, because I would never try to compete with Al-Anon or therapy. Mm-hmm. Those are great to a certain point. Yes, 
but they don't teach you how to not be identified by your story. Right. And right. it's when we can let go of our stories right. that we actually free ourselves. Great. That's a great way to end the question section. Now we're going to jump to yes or BS. All righty. <laughs> so I'm going to make a statement and you will say yes or BS, and then you can expound on why you agree or not agree. All right. Perfect. Number one, addiction is about control. BS. Addiction is typically, I would say, based on underlying issues that somebody has not dealt with. And so if I'm not dealing with my emotional issues and triggers and things that happened earlier in life, I will go into working too much, eating too much, shopping, alcohol, drugs. So in a way, I'll come back a little bit to there is some control because I'm trying to control my life <laughs> and not deal with what's underlying. Okay. So... I'll give you both on that one. What, what, what did you tell me when I interviewed Eugenie? You were like, yes or BS-ish? What did you say? Yes-ish, BS-ish. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer to that yes. <laughs> Yeah. Number yeah. two, public speaking is fun. Yes. Okay, good, good. That, that terrifies most people, but it I've, se I've seen you and you look pretty comfortable. It does. It's when you truly believe and what it is that you're talking about, it's like having a conversation. Yeah. You know, I've been terrified having to give corporate presentations because I didn't believe in what I was talking about. And mm -hmm. I was rattling off numbers. And, and that was when I was rattling off pure bullshit. And I didn't believe in what it was that I was being forced to present. Yeah. So it's really, it, it's depending on where your energy is. And the thing is, is people want to be taught. Okay. Number three. Coaching. Heals faster than counseling. Depends on the coach or the counselor. <laughs> because there are some great coaches I've worked with mm -hmm. and others that I would never recommend. Mm. And the same with therapists. Okay. So it really depends on who you're working with. And I would say anyone you're looking to work with, look for someone who's dealing with body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. A holistic approach. Yeah. Be it coach or therapist. I asked that question because I heard you say in an interview that, you know, therapy a lot deals with the past. Coaching deals with how we move forward. And I thought about my own therapist, how I spent a lot of time with her. And now we're sort of at the stage of more of the coaching. Mm -hmm. you know, she's sort of coaching me about things in, in the future. So I think I think both can work. But, yeah, I think I agree with you that it depends on who it is. Number four. Marriage is about relationship to self. I think marriage builds on a relationship to self. If you're familiar with David Dieta, so he has a book entitled Dear Lover, which is essays a man would write to his female partner. Mm -hmm. And in one of them, he talks about two people coming together and creating something bigger than themselves. So relationship isn't for you to fill something that I feel a void within me. It's two, mm -hmm. it's two people coming together right. as they are, seeing each other as, as you are, mm -hmm. and bringing your best self. Whatever that is in any given second. Right. <laughs> and, and the other person can help us grow. Yes. 
because that's part of being in a healthy relationship and to yeah. call each other on our bullshit and yeah. all the other things that come with being in a relationship. Yeah. But it's when the two people have the same mindset to continue to grow yeah. mentally and spiritually together. I would also add that an unhealthy relationship helps you grow. You know, Very just, true. Mine just, did. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't be here. Uh, yes. You would still be married. You One know? of my greatest gifts was my second husband. Yes. Truly. Yes. As hard as it was. All right. Number six. Oh, this is the one that you made me think of when we were out there. Okay. The government should reinstitute prohibition. No. <laughs> That's pure bullshit. Because if we think of, you know, how effective has the drug pure war? Bullshit. How effective has the drug war been? All it's done Ineff is extremely ineffective. Exactly. Yeah. And we look at how ineffective prohibition was. When I lived in another house down the shore, the house across from me is on a little lake. And I, there are stories where boats used to come up during prohibition and they were, mm. it was a brothel slash bar and the bar was downstairs and there are five separate bedrooms upstairs. Oh, and okay. I, if those walls let's, could let's only... cracking. Right. If those walls <laughs> could only talk. <laughs> right. So I think, no, prohibition would not work. However, I do not agree with the legalization of marijuana because... Interesting. Right. Right now, it's a norm for everybody on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night to go out and have drinks, and you're looked at sideways if you don't want to have a cocktail. Yeah. We're taught to numb ourselves and to not talk about what's going on. Yeah. And legalizing marijuana is, is just giving us another vehicle. What about medical marijuana? Perfect. You're okay with medical, Absolutely. medical marijuana. Okay. Listen, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. coming. Tell the people how they can uh, reach you, how they could connect with you, how they can buy the book, and how they can, if, if, they, if they'd like to uh, be coached, how can they contact you? They can contact me directly via my website, okay. stephaniebmcauliffe.com. Okay. From there, they can send me a note. Uh, they can sign up for a free initial session. Great. If they'd like. Because I also want to make sure that there's a good connection between Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And so our first session is always introductory. Let's see. Let's talk. And I want to make sure that I can help you and you feel like that I can help you as well. Yeah. Synergy. Yes. Absolutely. The energy between two people. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and my book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other booksellers as well. Okay. Yes. Right. Again, the book is called The Message in the Bottle by Stephanie Mead McAuliffe. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank and you. And I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.